It's time for Supply Chain Now. Broadcasting live from the supply chain capital of the country, Atlanta, Georgia. Heard around the world, Supply Chain Now spotlights the best in all things supply chain. The people, the technologies, the best practices, and the critical issues of the day. And now, here are your hosts. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton back with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. On today's episode, we're continuing our Logistics with Purpose series, powered by our dear friends over at Vector Global Logistics. On this series, we're spotlighting leaders and organizations that all are changing the world in some way, shape, or form. So stay tuned as we look to increase your supply chain IQ. A quick programming note before we introduce our co-hosts and our featured guests here today. If you enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to check us out and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. All right, welcoming in my esteemed, fearless co-hosts here today. We've got Greg White, serial supply chain tech entrepreneur and trusted advisor. Greg, how you doing? This is a great day. When these episodes get released, it will not be known that both that two episodes were recorded with Enrique and his esteemed guests in one day, which is amazing. It's, a, it's an inspiring day. In any day we get to do this, but two episodes in a row is fantastic. Yeah, feels like we have gone to Baskin Robbins and ordered two scoops of Vector Global Logistics. And then you go, <laughs> yeah, then you go get and mow your lawn. Correct? Yeah, that's right. right. I go mow my lawn. <laughs> All right. Couldn't so, get any better. <laughs> so also we have Enrique Alvarez once again, managing director at Vector Global Logistics as our co-host along with Greg and I today. Enrique, how you doing? Hey, good morning. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Greg. It's always a pleasure being with you, and uh, I'm very excited about this particular episode, the guest, which I'm not going to name until you do the honors this time, uh, as a good friend of mine. So I, I'm excited. It should be fun, and I look forward to it. So with all that said, Enrique and John, let's welcome in, or Enrique and Greg. See, See, now, See now, now you're the one that did it. <laughs> Uh, we have Mr. John Thompson, CEO of Community Connect, joining us. John, how you doing? I'm doing great today. Uh, thanks, Scott, Greg, Enrique, for, for having me on. I'm looking forward to our conversation. We are, too. Your ears have probably been burning a bit because we, as we were doing our homework and talking with Enrique, we were finding out uh, so, a little bit about your background and a lot about your outstanding work you're, you've been leading now for 13 years. So mm -hmm. looking forward to learning a lot more about that story. But... Before we do, Enrique and Greg, let's get to know John a little bit better, and better yet, get our listeners, afford them the opportunity to get to know John a little better. So, John, the proverbial opening question that we love to <laughs> learn more about, hey, tell us where you're from, and give us, give us some of those secret stories from your upbringing. Right on. Well, thanks. Uh, as Enrique knows, uh, I'm an ATLian through and through, born here in Atlanta in 1974, it was a time a lot of people uh, that were thinking differently here in the South found Atlanta to be an island where they could express themselves. My parents were, were no different. They came from North Carolina, moved to Atlanta in the late 60s, and found a small community here called Little Five Points. It was already very eclectic. People came in to Atlanta from the South with, with big ideas. You'll remember that there was a lot of political activism at that time. And so um, a lot of the agitated, if you were, kind of congregated Atlanta around these in-town communities and began credit unions and co-ops, uh, grocery stores, radio stations, newspapers, and um, around Little Five Points of Candle Park. And I, I grew up in all of that. And it was uh, when, as I get older, I realize how much 
that made it a big impact on me. So I, I grew, grew up here. In, uh, I'm now back in Atlanta after a number of years in Nicaragua. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But here, growing up in, in, in the South, in particular in a city like Atlanta, was just a, a blessing. Uh, and, and I'm very lucky to, to do so. Went to public school um, here and then went on to private school and, and, um, and high school. And then went off to college in Kentucky in a Division three school called Center College. I played oh, yeah. soccer there. And, yeah. And that's kind of how I met Enrique. Mm-hmm. You played soccer at Center College in Kentucky. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. What position on the field? Striker. I like to score the goals. Really? <laughs> he still <Yeah>. does. <laughs> <laughs> you break any records up in Kentucky? Absolutely not. No, um, I was average at best, <laughs> but it was a great, it was a, it was a great school. Um, little did I know um, it was uh, known to be the Harvard of the South. Um, I realized that when uh, it was, I found it to be very difficult. It was also in a dry county. Didn't know that it even existed, but no, it was, uh, it was a great experience. And soccer was a big part of my life. And afterwards, it's when I, when I came back to Atlanta, played uh, in an adult league with some friends and, and met Enrique. That's where we we met that that must have been back in yeah early 2000s and you're a big atlanta united fan i believe right huge huge, huge. massive yeah. okay and real quick before I, I want to talk a little bit more about your professional journey kind of some of those key roles that kind of help shape your worldview but before we get there you really were talking earlier about little five points and how eclectic it is that area and really by extension the atlanta area how it, it can really stand out in the southeast why is diversity of thought and a diversity of perspective so important in your view? You know, I could, I have a lot of uh, cliches I could throw out there, you know, diversity is spice of life and, and, and whatnot, but I'm a true believer in collaboration, co-creation of initiatives and ideas. And that has kind of, you'll see that in, in a lot of my work. I think that the, the world is a very boring place when we all look the same, we all sound the same, we say the same things. And you know, as we have a chance to, to learn from others, we also have a chance to teach others. So that exchange has been huge. I think for me, my mom was a teacher. My dad was, he was assistant director of, of community development for DeKalb County, one of the largest counties in, in Georgia. And so I just kind of grew up around uh, people of different colors and, and, and backgrounds. My church was a very small church, part of an underground railroad of, for refugees coming through Central America, you know? And so I think I just, I drank that Kool-Aid by the buckets it's just kind of in my DNA now. Excellent. All right. So let's talk about your professional journey a bit. And uh, I know I know you've been leading the calls at uh, your organization now for 13 years. But prior to that, and you may be as young as you are, there might not be a whole bunch prior to that. But but what helped shape your ability to move into you know the role that you're in now? It actually all started with a with a surf trip. I mean, uh, it doesn't sound very uh, much like a professional journey, but. I took a, after I graduated college in 97 and went on a, a road trip through central Mexico and Central America in 1998. And that's really when I, my eyes became wide open to the fact that there are other people in this world living in much um, different ways than, than I was. And speaking a different language, I mean, I just was so naive and I didn't really realize that until I got out of the United States and um, saw <clears throat> what other people were going through. And so as we went through Mexico, I saw a lot of, you know, we were surfing, so we were on the Pacific coast of Baja and from Mazatlan all the way down to the Guatemalan border. I saw a lot of different iterations of tourism, um, a lot of different iterations of community. And when I got to Nicaragua six months later, 
I recognize that in 1998, Nicaragua uh, was on the cusp of a tourism boom. Foreign investment was huge. And um, I didn't want to just sit by. I want to participate. And I didn't have any money. I, didn't, I don't come from money. I don't, you know, I'm not an investor. But I wanted to be involved in what I saw as a beautiful, small community on the Pacific coast of Nicaragua on the cusp of something huge. And they had no idea what was coming. And so I went back to Atlanta and got my master's of social work at Georgia State University uh, with a specialization or a focus area in, in community development as opposed to the clinical side. And so instead of sitting down one-on-one -on -one with a, a client or a patient, I was sitting down with a community and I learned how to ask the right questions. I learned how to listen in the right ways. And those community partnerships that were the experience in creating and developing those partnerships really led me into the, a career of social work, but in a, in a community development uh, kind of lens, if you will. Interesting. You know, as we, as I've looked back and Greg, as we've asked that question about professional journey through almost 400 shows now, I can tell you that this is very unique because no one's ever said, well, it started with a surf trip. That's, that's, <laughs> but, but it makes so much sense, John. Yeah. I mean, it makes so much sense. You, you know, we all have our blind spots based on our lifetime experiences and, and where that journey takes us. And I think it's a beautiful story of how you go down there for a completely different reason. And, and it opens up your eyes to a lot of other like meaningful life-changing experiences. I, I, I love it. Greg, what your thought? That's it. That was exactly my thought. How many people's career journey starts with it all started with a surf trip made me think of a friend of mine who intended to remodel his house and wound up tearing it down and building another one. And this, and the story starts with, it all started with this couch. I mean, it, right. I mean, the most unexpected result from the most mundane or tiny sort of kernel, right? So that, that's amazing. I have to ask you aside from the inspiration and clear, and that is uh, behind you is a picture of your, uh, of your land, I think, right in Nicaragua. Yeah. This is a coffee farm uh, in the mountains of uh, Nicaragua behind me. So aside from that, where were the best waves for surfing on your trip? <laughs> yeah, not many waves here up on the lake. The best waves, you know, Nicaragua has, I think, three of the top five waves in the world. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, lake Nicaragua and the winds that come across and create an offshore, you know, wind uh, 300 days out of the year, I think. So wow. you get, yeah, nine months of incredible surf. Uh, so the southern Pacific coast of Nicaragua is full of, incredible waves that are absolutely empty particularly nowadays and so yeah anywhere there's probably two dozen coves that have two dozen two dozen different types of breaks do you still get a chance to go out there and, and surf some of those waves uh when you're back in nicaragua or yeah uh i was there in february um just before the coronavirus hit and kind of shut everything down yep had my i was supposed to have been there two times since but no nope, here i am Atlanta. Yeah. Well, at least you're used to the humidity in Nicaragua, right? That's right. I tell you, Nicaragua is an incredible place. It's the second poorest country in the hemisphere after Haiti. But it is, it's beautiful. I mean, it's known as the land of lakes and volcanoes. It is, the people are amazing. Their approach to hospitality is just incomparable to anyone else, anywhere else I've ever been. I thoroughly recommend. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a road promoting Nicaragua every day. Love it. Well, Greg, I think we want to dive more into John's organization, Communidad Connect, right? 
Yeah, so I'd love to understand kind of how you landed there and then what the company does. I'm hoping this segment also starts with it all started with a surf trip. But if not, I won't be disappointed, John. So No, well it it does uh it is a continuation, right? So picking up where I left off, I wanted to do I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to be a part of the the country's growth and uh, the communities where I was. Uh, I wanted to contribute to their to their growth. So um, we moved, I, my wife is Nicaraguan. We met in 2000, we met in 1999 and we got married here in Atlanta after I got my MSW, went to work for United Way for a little while. But I was looking at this, at this panoramic picture of the Pacific Coast of Nicaragua every day in my little cubicle. And I was like, you know, I could do this work here in Atlanta or I could do it in front of the beach. <laughs> why don't we go back to Nicaragua? My wife was like, why do my whole life, I'm trying to get out of Nicaragua. Yeah. Back. Bless her heart. She uh, she followed me. And I don't say follow me. We went down there together. We moved there in 2005 and uh, lived there for 10 years. I didn't know it was going to be that long. In 2007, we were seeing a foreign investment through the roof. Uh, tourism, tourism was really picking up. And we founded Nicaragua. I'm sorry. We founded Community Connect on the basis of, you know what? There are people who want to have a meaningful experience while they are traveling, whether on vacation with family or traveling alone on a surf trip or whatever. They want them to enter into communities through the back where they don't know the language, they don't have the relationships, and they might not even include what they want to do. They just want to do something meaningful. And on the other side of that equation, we had there were people in the community that were doing incredible work that needed support, access to capital, access to opportunities, whether they were making water filters or composting toilets that were serving the community, but they just didn't know how to interact with this, this wave of foreigners that had access to resources. And I, find my, I found myself smack dab in the middle. I knew the language. I had had by that time almost 10 years of, of relationships there in the community. And I had a little bit of experience with community development. So I said, why don't we, you know, put the two puzzle pieces together, like you see on that, right? Where we have a community that, a community that wants to do good and on, on the other side, communities that need that support, well, we put them together like puzzle pieces. And so Community Connect is a, just that. It's connecting communities. Half of, it's, half of it's in Spanish, half of it's in English. And I, I just, I'm happiest when I find myself at the intersections of people who want to make a difference. And I'm a, I, I connect them with opportunities to do so. And that at the, that's the crux of, of Community Connect and, and a bit of the ethos story as well. So, John, look, the title of CEO, everyone here has been a company leader, right? So the title of CEO is beautiful and it looks great on a business card, but sometimes it doesn't represent what people would expect your job to be or the totality of what you do. And I sense in, a, in an organization like yours, that's probably true for you too. So tell us what you really do on a day-to-day -day basis, the kind of things that you do and interactions you have and that kind of thing. Well, we've always said that our, our capacity to make a difference is directly linked to the engagement and the size of our community here. And so uh, for probably the first seven years, eight years of my work with Community I Connect, I was developing programs, managing programs, managing staff. I was in country. And so it was what I love to do most, you know, the, the grassroots work. We, we focus on community health, we run, a, we run a health clinic, we provide a continuum of care for special needs patients. 
we support health, local health promoters in Nicaragua, as well as in the Dominican Republic now. We build homes, we distribute water filters, we have a youth sports program that has a thousand kids. I mean, there's, it's very robust with a very small team. And um, that's where I'm happiest, kind of on the ground, getting my, my feet and dirty, my hands dirty. Moving to the United States, what I do now, I've been back here for about three years. My business card should really be storyteller because the questions that you all are asking me, I, I, I get off. And I do like sharing my story with others because it's not the typical route to become CEO of a for-profit or nonprofit. What I do now is, is I share the work. We, a lot of my time is spent on marketing, communications. Certainly now with coronavirus, it's, we've been working on transitioning our in-person events over to virtual, virtual events. We've launched a podcast. It's a lot of time in studio. Uh, which is my home office. So that's really how I'm spending a lot of my time. And, and that's another way of saying fundraising, because without fundraising, we can't make, uh, you know, obviously we can't do anything. And half of our budget, half of our operating revenue um, in the past came from hosting groups of students and faith-based groups in country to join us in the work. <clears throat> and we use that revenue to drive programs. But without the ability to travel and take volunteers abroad, it all comes down to the generosity of our of our donor network. So that's where I spend all my time now. A quick follow-up on that. I, I'm curious what that fundraising donor relationship looks like now in, in today's environment. And I only feel free to ask you such a complex question because Enrique told us we can, we can ask you anything. I, I wonder what that looks like in this day and age. Wow, uh, what that relationship looks like. It's, it's, everybody's different. And everybody's capacity to give is different. Some people give from abundance. Some people give because of their commitment to cause. Some people support our work because they're my childhood friend and they know me personally. And they say, well, if, if JT's in, then I'm in too. So there's no one necessarily, no approach that works the same everybody or a relationship that is not unique. But the most important thing about fundraising in this day and age is being genuine and being authentic and being humble when you meet someone new and being thoughtful when you're with someone you've known a lifetime. Because the last thing you want is someone to think, wow, you know, he is just reaching out to me because he wants my money. Our, our organization is very people-centered, and that's the same kind of spirit that we bring to all facets of the work, whether it's you know, a, um, our, our Pro for Good program that provides meals to senior citizens living alone in communities, or it's with, you know, a major donor. It's, it has to be based on very strong, very um, genuine relationships. Has it been harder because you can't get people there in person, or have you changed your approach substantially? Because you said it's very people focused, right? So that obviously I think we're all adapting to Zoom, Zoom meetings, right? That's right. But mm -hmm. um, tell, is there some way you've changed your approach because of that? A little bit, yeah. You know, so we started a podcast much like, much like this. We're bringing um, our team that's in the field in Nicaragua, trying to bring them more to the forefront. Um, language is always a barrier, yeah. so, so that doesn't always work. 
our biggest challenge since day one is trying to explain the impact and really in intangible ways when people are able to go to Nicaragua or to the Dominican Republic where, where we've begun to do work. It's a big challenge. And this has forced us to re-engineer a lot of that um, exposure to the need, exposure to the opportunity, mm -hmm. um, and try to do that virtually. And so we're now developing, since, for example, since schools can't join us in country, we're bringing the country to them in the classroom with like Google, Google Earth flight simulators actually taking off from Atlanta airport over the Caribbean, landing in Managua, kind of getting like a hot air balloon and going into the community where we work, then getting down and that's kind of like the grass tops. Then we get into the grass roots where you, we can actually have Zoom meetings with our nurse in the clinic or our, our field staff that's building homes or, or local, you know, local leaders that we work with. So it's forced us to exercise our creativity in ways we had never really done before. We'd kind of, we knew that we need to, we need to always need to innovate, but this has really forced that innovation, you know, fast forward. So we'll see, we'll see. I, so far we're, I think our virtual events have actually been able to engage more people in more ways than an in-person event ever, ever could. So I'm, uh, I'm optimistic. Wow, if I can ask great. a quick, quick question, Greg, before you continue, yeah. John, you paint a wonderful picture and it maybe it's part of your backdrop and, and it's a lot of the words you use, but you really, it, it's, it's easy to see how you're a great storyteller as part of your role. So I envision all the stuff you need from, from the sports programs to all the other services and support you offer the Central American community and beyond. How do you get all that stuff down there? What's give us a snapshot of the logistics behind that. Well, we try as much as we can to inject our resources in the local economy. So whatever we can buy, like it doesn't make sense for us to bring down a bunch of um, medical supplies when we can buy them from the mom and pop's pharmacy around the corner. And sending money is a lot easier than getting medical supplies through customs, believe me. Through the sports program, for example, we built a sports facility, kind of renovated an old tennis court into a basketball and soccer or arena soccer and volleyball court. And there's an NBA player, ex-NBA player, that has a house in, in this community. And so I reached out to him and said, can you help us get some backboards? And so he reached out to his past organizations, which is the Lakers and the Knicks, got the Knicks to donate two full sets of basketball goals, wow. had them shipped down through the mayor's son was in a major hardware store, a chain in Nicaragua, got them to do the import-export tax free because it was through the government through the mayor's office and then delivered to us. So the ingenuity, level of ingenuity in Nicaragua is awesome. With a little bit of duct tape and some elbow grease, you can fix anything, right? And so what I found is that the supply chain to get things there is not as difficult as you may think at first glance, but certainly we try to supply our programs with the resources they need with, with local resources. You're investing on so many different levels. I love that that localization. Think about this. Supply chain started very locally, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it started with us feeding ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Right. If you think about it, that's where the supply chain really started. And then we had more, like we do this year, more squash and tomatoes than we could eat. So we took them to the neighbors or whatever, right? I mean, it, it starts very simply and it starts very locally. And I think it's good 
that you're contributing so much to the economy that you're trying to help. So that's fantastic. Well, I think in just being intentional about the way we spend our money is more important nowadays than ever before. So I'm glad that that, that shines through our work. So can you name the NBA player? I bet we're all dying to know who the heck that is. Well, I will, he's, a, he's, he's a friend. He's a, been a, a great supporter of Community Connect for many years. Travis Knight, he has had a, a, a home in the town where my wife is from and where we found in Nicaragua on the coast of, um, on the Pacific coast there. And um, we stay in touch throughout the year. And again, if, he's, if he listens, a big shout out to Travis Knight. He's a great man. He was a great player. Yeah. And um, he's a good friend. That's great to get people like that involved. They have so much power, right? I mean, and it's encouraging when they when they help leverage that power and knowledge and and um, awareness uh, into something great like this. Yeah, he's fantastic. I want to ask you about Eureka moments, but man, I think you've shared a couple <laughs> here. So anything? I mean, is there anything else that has given you that sort of aha moment that has you know, lit your fuse more than any of the other things that you've described here already? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you two brief examples. I was working in a, in a community. I was working for a, a, a development doing the corporate social responsibility work. And it was from the, one of the most influential and powerful families in Nicaragua. I was charged with managing the community relationships around their development. And there were seven different communities, three different health centers. And when I saw the health centers and I went to go visit and I spoke with the staff, they were clogged with people every day, women and children primarily, that had diarrhea and upper respiratory illnesses. And they couldn't do anything else. They couldn't get out in the community because they were attending so many people in their clinics. That diarrhea and the, and the upper respiratory illnesses are very preventable illnesses. With access to clean water, you don't clear it up 100%, but that's huge. Washing hands and drinking clean water, chronic diarrhea, diarrhea was the number one killer for babies under five years old throughout the developing world. Right. And with a water filter that costs $30, you can make a big dent in that. With a stove that, chip, that funnels the smoke out of the roof and doesn't fill the house with, wood, with wood, wood smoke, you can cut down on that upper respiratory illness in big ways. And so that drove me to, to think, okay, well, how can we put two and two together? And next thing you know, within five years, we got 10,000 people with clean water through water filters. They were buying with community service. They volunteered two days in a row doing work to improve their community, and we recognized that with a filter. We weren't just landing, you know, parachuting in, handing out filters, taking a, a picture, and walking away. These were people earning them through their civic engagement. And that was, a, that was just a, how someone's time can be the most valuable currency was a that was an aha moment for me. Wow. And the second one uh, started, it was uh, two years ago in 2018, there was a lot of social unrest in Nicaragua. It's political instability, and it was a very disturbing time. And people, you know, widespread unemployment, people were, didn't have access to food. So we started, like, like my staff said, we have to get food to these people who are elderly living alone or special needs, and they can't cook for themselves. And so we started doing things that I never wanted to do ever. And that's hand things out and provide a meal. Even though it was good, nurse, you know, good nourishment, it was still a handout. And I, that was just something that we did not want to do. So today, we're, we have 
acres of corn and acres of beans planted in the grounds because we've begun to finance those local farmers, giving them loans at reasonable interest rates so that they can grow their own food. And then the, with the surplus, like your squash and tomatoes, then they can they can take care of their neighbors in ways they couldn't before because they didn't have the money because of the jobs. And this is an investment of $2,000. $2,000 wow. can put 14 acres of corn in the ground that provides food for 40 people year round, plus a couple thousand dollars in their pocket, which is the equivalent of an annual salary. So again, very simple things. Once they come together in my little head, they can cause a, uh, a reaction that now hopefully will serve thousands and thousands of people. Butterfly effect. That's great. Well, okay. Now, Scott, I feel like maybe you and I ought to just sit and watch. So yeah. let's turn Enrique loose. And <laughs> I, I know, I know you and John are great fan, great friends. And I know you're a big fan of what he's doing at community, community connect. So share with us a little bit about, What's so inspiring about this for you and why you wanted to share this story with us? Yeah, no, one of the main reasons I wanted to share the story was uh, John himself. I mean, he said, I'm sure that everyone's listening by now knows the kind of person or has a really good idea of what kind of person John is. And, and it's, uh, we're good friends. We don't get a chance to hang out as much as we would like to. Uh, mainly because he doesn't want to play soccer with us anymore, but that's a different story. <laughs> well, you kick me in the shins every time I get out there. So. <laughs> uh -oh. but, uh, but no, I, um, I admire what he's done uh, and, and what he's a straightforward, honest, hardworking, passionate person. And, and again, every, every, anyone that would start a story like, hey, it started on a surf trip and then goes on to see that something's wrong in the world or the place that he was. And then instead of just going back and ignoring it like he actually takes the time and builds a company and changes his life around that particular moment I think it's just admirable and and, and worth sharing and, and again part of the series that we have here uh, with you guys Greg and Scott is is sharing inspirational stories so that other people could kind of learn and follow the footsteps of, of good leaders and, and so I just yeah John I respect you as a leader and glad that you're my friend and um, so Congratulations, because what you've done, even inside Community Connect, because when we started talking about this years and years ago, it was only or mainly the students going into and the coffee, right? And I don't know, mm -hmm. you haven't mentioned the coffee, but one question I had for you is, how do you start growing into all these other aspects, like the the sports complex and the kids and the health and the food? And I mean, how, how what's your strategy into growing something that I think and I might be wrong here, started maybe at the coffee. Where did it start and, and how do you grow it to all these other programs? Around the same time, in 2007, when we founded uh, Community I Connect, I was also invited to be part of a coffee farm. And that's, you know, pictured behind me. I had no money. So I told, I told my friend who was putting it all together, I said, I mean, I want to be involved, but I don't know what I can do. And he said, well, I want you to be involved in the community level because it's a 250-acre farm. It's the largest organic coffee farm in Nicaragua, we are going to be, we're going to, we're going to make a splash. And if you could help us manage the community relations, that'd be great. And so that's how I got involved in the coffee farm. And it just so happened that in that community called Los Robles, uh, just outside the city of Hinotego on Lake Apanas, there was a vibrant community of engaged leaders. And after a year or two of saying no, 
no, we can't put a roof on the school. We can't give the computers or the church needs new pews. We can't do everything. We took that time and developed relationships and really built trust. I really believe that change really happens at the speed of trust. And until you have that trust, it takes time to build. But once you have it, you're locked in and you can do some amazing things. As I developed some relationships with the coffee farmers within the community and also in partners, it's very important to point out there was a very strong relationship with Emory University's uh, business school, social enterprise. This, the Center for Social Enterprise at Goisweta at Emory was a big, a very important partner in the beginning of Community I Connect and helped open our eyes to the fact that coffee is a product, is you know, the highest traded commodity in the world after oil. Yet the countries that are, that base their GDP on coffee production are some of the poorest in the entire world. So we saw a huge discrepancy there about a coffee that cost $3.50 a cup at Starbucks was less than a dollar a pound for the farmers. And they just didn't have access to the markets. Right. And so we were able to kind of understand, well, wow, there's a really valuable resource here. How can we bring that to market? Much like we saw the community as an incredible place for research, a credible place for program development, but we just, we had to plug it into communities that have resources that could kind of get some programs up and running. The more we scratched the surface, the more layers of the onions we peeled back, it, yeah, it got stinky, but we also got stinky with, with promise. And so we were able to um, develop a uh, coffee program called Farmers to 40 that paid the farmers based on the price of coffee that consumers were paying not on the commodity price that's really manipulated more by futures and hedge funds than the reality in Nicaragua. A different spin on on Enrique's question to you. As we go broader, John, Enrique had was also curious as we were chatting pre-show about some other things you're tracking across the global community, right? Right, Enrique? Again, challenging times or interesting times. I'm sure there's a lot of opportunities that we can extract from this. And, and I'm pretty sure that us as human beings are going to learn a lot from going through this worldwide pandemic. But you talked a little bit about the marketing and some of the funding and how that has changed. But what other kind of indicators are you currently tracking that would impact your, your uh, organization? And, and what do you keep an eye on? Well, right now there's more than anything we're keeping an eye on COVID and in, in 19 and in, in Nicaragua. Nicaragua was one of the only countries in the world that did not establish social distancing. They actually mandated school. They held big rallies. There were no precautions put into place. Medical professionals were not allowed to wear masks for the first six, six weeks. And now we are seeing a widespread explosion of coronavirus in, in Nicaragua. Yesterday, one of my staff tested positive. There are people in, in very rural communities now that are testing positive. My focus, I guess my metric is, is a human metric right now, and it's a concern. I think we all feel, um, but certainly I think it's uh, magnified quite a bit in countries like, like Nicaragua. Certainly, we want to travel there again. We want to begin our work via our, what we call our cultural connections program. When we take academic groups and faith-based groups, even birding groups and corporate groups to Nicaragua and the DR, we track our success there, not only in how many people we can bring down, how much money we can raise doing so, but impact we can have by engaging and, and deploying those 
capital investments come from um, from that side of the business. But right now, it's it's really tough because we can't travel. But there's promise that we'll be able to get get down there soon, and hopefully, virtually, we can bring that experience into the into the classroom. I mean, governments have changed their stance on how to fight the virus, and is there I mean, is there anything that we or the listeners can do to kind of help this particular concern of yours and, and help people in Nicaragua kind of battle through the virus? Well, yeah, the, and the government has now accepted the fact that there is coronavirus. There's no, there's no denying that. Just it's a little late, but they are making some, some strides in that regard in supporting their, their medical staff and so forth. What we found, the best way that we can help is working directly with communities you know, they don't have jobs. There's, there's really widespread unemployment. The, the economy was in collapse before coronavirus. So by supporting our work to, to get food on the, uh, on the tables of families that need it the most, to give uh, safe shelter for the families that might be living in a dirt floor or have a plastic tarp as their roof, uh, as many do in, in the communities where we work, helping out with our medical programs to provide this continuum of care with medicine and home visits and trips to visits to specialists. I mean, $5 goes a very long way in Nicaragua. And right now we're, we're recruiting uh, recurring uh, supporters of our, of our work, five, 10, $20 a month. You can't, I can't tell you how much impact that makes. Just yesterday, we highlighted a young man who came as a volunteer in 2014 and started a $15 a month donation when he got home. He's since made 80 contributions. And it is, you know, it's just amazing that through that, through that small gift every month, um, that's 50 cents a day, so much, so much help can be afforded, so much uh, impact can be made. And so I, I think that if people want to get involved, just understand that it's very easy to do so. There's no reason why you can't. We're a very small organization. There's not a lot of overhead. And all of the, the dollars that we raise that, go, that are earmarked for programs go 100% to programs. And so um, I just encourage people to visit us on, on our website, community.connect.org. Um, we're also very active on Facebook and Instagram. And, and our podcast, The Connection, also has episodes every week, as well as uh, Facebook Live events. We're big music fans. So if you like our music, then spread the word. So we always say, look, you can share, your, share our story, come and volunteer or make a donation. There's, there's three great ways to get involved. Outstanding. Who's your favorite music group, by the way? You got to pick one. Ooh, right now, uh, I'm a big salsa fan. And so I would say Eddie Palmieri is my, uh, on heavy rotation. So okay. Eddie Palmieri, great piano. Salsa. salsa it's a great player. dancer too, by the way. Really? We're going to have to check that one out. Greg's a big dancer on, on our go. team, right? Right. Really? <laughs> it's hard to be down when you're listening to salsa. That's right. That's right. Wholeheartedly agree. All right. So I appreciate you sharing how folks can connect. Of course, we're going to share all those links, a lot of those links, at least in the show notes. Hey, John, got one final question before we wrap up. I like your down-to-earth leadership style and just authentic approach that you bring to the table. And, and this is the first time we've, we've met, heard a lot about you, but based on what you and your team have been building and the mission you've been serving and, and the good you've been doing, the very real tangible good you've been doing, speak to those aspiring leaders, whether they're still in school, whether they're early in their career, what makes it happen from a leadership standpoint? For me, it kind of goes against uh, the grain 
to say that my career has been driven not by money. It has been 100% based on my values. And when I speak with young professionals, whether out of school or in school still, I urge them to reflect first and find work that speaks to what makes them happy. Because when I talk to the old timers and I listen to what they really, when they look you in the eye and say, son, happiness is worth more than money. And you have to balance that, right? Because you got to have money to put food on the table. But I go to bed every night happy and satisfied because I know my work is making a difference in the lives of others. And if I can make a living doing that, then I want that to be an inspiration for other people that, well, maybe I don't have to go down the traditional route. And maybe I don't have to climb that corporate ladder to be happy because really what is happy happiness at the end of the day. Love that. Greg, Enrique, a lot there. We, we could have dove into that last segment, I think, <laughs> a couple hours. But Greg, <laughs> your key takeaway or your final thought with, with John? One, surfers save the world. And two, that, that last statement reminds me of the parable of the, of the big six consultant and the Mexican fisherman. I'd encourage people to look that up, read through it. It is an inspiration for your life, and it does give you a clarity of direction in that regard. And second, you know, and in addition to that, I'd say kudos, frankly, to your wife for allowing you to do this and, 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 <laughs> That's a good and participating point. with you in it and allowing you to spend some time in, in country. I mean, we have talked to Tanya Allen from Venezuela and a number of folks who have left their, their home country and they are loath to go back. So we know what a difficult decision that is to make. Congrats to her and, and her part in, in participating in this. And of course, to you and the team. And I hope you guys get to get down there again soon. We should, we should all go, Greg. Yes. We can, uh, yes, we, we should. Can, we can all have like a little trip down to Nicaragua. So I have some friends who are from there as well. And could be a good retreat for, for supply chain. And have a salsa contest uh, yeah. while we're down there. <laughs> hey, we're from Georgia, man. We're not, we have no problems with a blue, with a blue roof, right? Yeah. Blue tarp roof is like a natural thing in Georgia. <laughs> That's all we need. <laughs> all right, Enrique, your final thought uh, as we wrap up here with John. It's been just a pleasure having him on the show. I'm sure we're going to have him again once we reopen. And, and after maybe his first trip, maybe we can think of something even remotely while he's down in Nicaragua. But no, thanks, thanks John, for everything you do again wish we could hang out more often, but, uh, but thank you very much uh, for, for just leading with the example, and, and yeah, thanks a lot. John, folks can, can learn more. I, I think we're going to include your LinkedIn profile. We're going to include your URL, which is communidadconnect.org, and we encourage our listeners to reach out. As, as John put it out there, there's, it's really easy to plug in and, and help the mission that you and your organization are on. So big thanks to John Thompson, CEO at Communidad Connect. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, bet. I appreciate it. Big thanks also, once again, to Greg White, a serial supply chain tech entrepreneur, a regular co-host here. Uh, in fact, host of the new show, which is getting rave reviews across, across the world, Greg. Tequila across the world, Sunrise. huh? That's right. Hey, you got to go big or stay home, right? Yeah, that's right. I guess um, so. <laughs> and, of course, we couldn't do, make this series. It wouldn't be possible without 
the great team over at Vector Global Logistics, uh, Enrique Alvarez, you and your team are inspirations in your own right. And we appreciate you how you bring these stories like John's here and his organization and, you know, give it our little spotlight that we've been growing here because they're stories that need to be heard and they're yep. missions that folks can get on board and, and really help make an impact. Thank you. And thank you, Scott and Greg, for allowing people to come and, and share their stories, share their experiences. And hopefully by just increasing the awareness and just sharing the story, as Yun was saying, um, you're also making a, a big change in the world. So thanks for what you do at Supply Chain Now. You bet. We'd love to do it. To our audience, hopefully you've enjoyed this story as much as we have. As I look at the, all the shows that we've had here, some of my favorites are, are shows just like this where you've got passionate leaders on a mission that are doing big things and it's like a calling and it's a real tangible practical impact in other parts of the world folks that as john laid out folks that need it like nicaragua being one of the i think the second second poorest country in the western hemisphere i think is what john shared you know let's, let's get out there and make a difference so on that note hopefully you enjoyed the show we challenge you do good give forward and be the change that's needed and on that note we'll see you next time here at supply chain now thanks everybody